0: Welcome to episode 303. You've probably heard that saying that all disease starts in the gut. Well, did you know that challenges with getting proper sleep and the development of sleep disorders can also start in the gut? It turns out the microbiome regulates a lot of things that modern medicine either hasn't looked deeply into or isn't paying attention to given the move away from nutrition and towards pharmaceutical solutions. If you've not yet listened to part one of this conversation, then I recommend you bounce back to episode 301 to hear all about the relationship between sleep apnea, sleep disorders and vitamin D. Now whilst vitamin D alone will help some people, you're about to have your mind blown to pieces about what's going on in the microbiome and how the bacterial species work together to create the necessary nutrition that you can not get from your food but that you absolutely need and how the western diet wiped out many of those colonies that help create that nutrition leading to sleep issues but also all sorts of health issues not just sleep hence all disease starts in the gut this episode is absolutely worth a listen so let's dive in welcome to the how to not get sick and die podcast You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Here we are back on the show for part two of Dr. Stasha Gomanak, where we go deep into the gut, an important part of getting control of your nutrition, emotional eating, and losing weight. And helps with my goal too, which is in 2023, it's my mission to coach... 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And this info today is absolutely linked to succeeding in that area because it's not just all about mindset and the way you think. There is a physical component. Now, if you haven't checked out part one of this conversation. I highly recommend you start there before this one. So that is episode 301. And just a quick rehash, Dr. Stasha Germanac is a neurologist, a medical doctor and a sleep expert that has written many medical papers that have appeared in research journals, but most aptly is that she has published works presenting a medical hypothesis of the causation of a plethora of sleep disorders. And that put into its most simple basic form is that the real cause of these sleep disorders is a severe lack of vitamin D and is also caused by gut issues and vitamin B deficiencies. And I'm doing it absolutely no justice in this sentence, but this is stuff that we go deep on and discuss on this episode. So I'm going to drop you in the middle of the conversation here. So remember, if you're feeling a bit lost, jump back to episode 301 first. That's a good place to start and then hit this episode right here. So let's begin.
1: This is an exciting time to be alive.
0: Yeah. I totally agree, and, and I think as well the other thing. Whilst medicine has its place, and I, my mum was a nurse, and I worked in hospitals, and I definitely entered the system thinking that I'm doing the most virtuous thing that I could by working in medicine and cancer. Um, the thing that I learned before COVID, where a lot of other people learned it, is that you know it is a business, and MDs are you know sort of held around the throat by pharmaceutical companies and Medicare as to the, as things that they can order. Um, and not that all of those things don't have their place and utility, but I think that's why a lot of people refer to COVID as the great awakening. People are starting to realize, oh, it's political and economic before it's about health.
1: Mm -hmm. yes, you're, you're absolutely right. I, you haven't asked me this yet, but I want to, I want to end this because of the, uh, I want to add this because of what you're trying to teach your, Listeners, about when I started to do D, I assumed my patients as they would sleep better, and as and I, because I I had a few patients who were on CPAP who actually lost a little weight. Then I started to do D, and I read all these connections between what we'd mentioned, which was the microbiome, and I did D by itself for two years, and I had clients who were outside walking every day. I didn't ask them to, and they didn't lose weight. And many of the clients, patients I was seeing were women who had after having a couple of babies and they were able to lose weight after the first one, they did exactly the same thing after the second one, they still couldn't lose the weight. And then they just, every pregnancy, they got fatter and fatter. And no matter what they did, they couldn't lose weight. It was only when we learned how to bring back a normal microbiome that my patients then started to lose weight. So in the background... There's also there's not only shaming people for wanting sleeping pills, but there's also shaming people for being overweight when it's really an endocrine problem. Nobody would shame a fat bear in the fall. (laughs) That bear is putting on weight because their biology has made them hungry. They're putting on weight for being with the babies and feeding them. Okay. yeah, that means when people want to eat. To the point of being obese, there's an endocrine problem in the background. And because endocrinology has completely stepped away from their responsibility with D, they have not noticed that D actually is a cofactor for the microbiome. And you establish certain colonies or certain phyla or certain species of bacteria when you have a D level of X. When it goes lower, you get a different group. And that different group is really meant to make you hungry forever. So that you can just have three meals and still be hungry afterwards. And I would sit with clients who would tell me about their friend who had just, they just ate dinner with this person and they just ate two jumbo popcorn packages while they were sitting in the, and To me, that is so sad because one, medicine is really responsible for this. This stuff has been in the literature. The new piece about D affecting the microbiome is relatively new. It was only published in 2020. So there were suppositions about that possibility. So there's a whole body of GI literature that tells us if you have this particular species, it makes short chain fatty acids. Those short chain fatty acids go up into a g receptor in your nose and make crispy creams and high fat high calorie foods smell unbelievably good they <laughs> really change your drive towards yeah. those foods that means we're being pulled around by this chemical mix inside our body that's really coming from the microbiome then you fit the piece about okay fecal transplant well you better get a transplant donor who's skinny or you're going to get, uh, so that whoever the donor is, so we have all this supporting literature in the microbiology literature and then in the fecal transplant literature. And then you put those together with, in 2020 was the first time they did a study. Again, vitamin D got to the front page news and they actually changed the amount of vitamin D being given to people and followed what species were resultant in their GI tract and that they had, more species that were associated with inflammatory disorders. What they didn't ask about, but will be there too, is they will have species that are related to being obese. There are some really interesting things. Like if you, I just watched Woodstock, the movie. Yeah. And here we are in the sixties with like, I do not even remember? 50,000 kids sitting in the mud. If you go and watch that movie again, there are no fat kids there. Yeah. None of them.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised. That means
1: in a, a period of 80 years, our population has changed dramatically. Then the next question is for the person who's struggling with being overweight. I love the idea that we're trying to help them feel better about themselves, but they would feel better if they didn't have extra weight on. For sure. <laughs> so why don't we show them the path of how to get better? The other thing I would mention is I really thought that we were just going to say, okay, we'll give these vitamins, we're going to bring back the microbiome, and everybody's going to lose weight. The bad part is you have to be patient because it appears to me that the brain actually does things like, okay, well, first I want to sleep better and I want to make sure everything is repaired. And you don't know it, but there's this, that, and the other thing going on in your pancreas and your liver and your kidney, and I want to make all it leaves the weight loss for last, which is very upsetting. You know, women have a certain list. They want pretty hair and nice skin and they want to lose weight. Men want to have a nice build, et cetera. So it turns out the body has a different order in which it may do things for you. But I really do think that once seeing these, all these changes happen, there's a path that you could follow that eventually has to do with, is my sleep great? Once my sleep is great, then the body says, I don't need this extra poundage. If your microbiome is back to normal,
0: yeah, I think it's uh, it's talking about this stuff and what needs to happen and fixing the physical problem. Um, it, it's often such a lifestyle change for people that it's they listen to conversations or podcasts and they're like. Not everybody can live like you, Maddie. Um, you know. And I mean, I would argue that because I've worked with plenty of mums that have got loads of kids that end up with totally changing their lives, you know, and and being able to self-prioritize. And so, um, but I can understand that from here, the idea of getting your, you know, your bare feet on, on the dirt or on the ground and walking outside and exposing yourself to the sun as often as possible, your actual skin, um, you know, a lot of that feels like too busy and plus it's too simple. So I'm not totally convinced. <laughs>
1: Too simple. That's a good one. So uh, you stop me at any time. uh, Yeah, that's okay. Okay. So the, the next piece was, so we get, we have this clinical observation that everybody in my practice has a low D and I've got sleep studies on almost all of them. And then we published this paper about the D being 60 to 80s, being the range to have someone with a sleep disorder get better. Then everything falls apart. And at that point, I start to have this weird buttock pain where I can't sit down at the end of the day. And I tell this story because it's funny and peculiar. And it was so weird that it's not something I'm going to go into my doctor and say, hey, my butt hurts. Will you take yeah. an MRI on my butt? You know? And it never happened to me before. I'm running. I'm running the same amount. It doesn't hurt when I run. And then my patients start to come back with these pain complaints that are frequently generalized joint pain or more knee pain or more back pain or burning in their hands and feet. And because everything starts to fall apart. So their sleep is now worse again, despite a D of 65. So they've done everything I've asked them, but it doesn't last. And then what happens then is a patient brings me a book. Again, I think there's like divine intervention of some kind because she brings me this really weird book. That's about a vitamin. I'm not into vitamins. I'm polite to people, but I'm not seeking them. And she brings me a book about a completely unrecognized vitamin, pantothenic acid, that still to this day, most of the literature says there is no such thing as pantothenic acid deficiency because it's in every food, And that is a complete lie. Coenzyme A is in every food, but it is not the source of our pantothenic acid. So she brings me a book, and because, again, I'm desperate, I read the book, finally, and she has references, and the references are from the 1950s. This very peculiar set of scientists are doing these creepy experiments on convicts where they're actually blocking pantothenic acid, and the convicts within two weeks develop burning in their hands and feet, which is exactly what a couple of my patients have just come in with. And because this is my subspecialty area in neurology, I know that that is extremely uncommon. Very uncommon. Hands and feet, both, doesn't happen. These b- women are both on B12. And that was the only thing that I'd ever seen work in that. So here's another B vitamin. And somehow I have to come up with, did I make them B vitamin deficient? So in the background, there's, they're sleeping better. They're making more repairs. Is it possible that in making more repairs, they've used up more of these B vitamins that I'm forcing them into a state I'm using up their stores. Well, the first question would be, if there's no change in diet and the bees all come from the food, which is what we've all been taught, then why would they be deficient? Yeah. And so I start to read the review articles and the review articles say, you know, thiamine has a colonic bacteria source and a food source. Riboflavin has a colonic bacteria source and a food source. Niacin. Well, we can make it from tryptophan, but it also has a colonic bacteria. So all of the eight B vitamins. And oh, by the way, why would you have eight things called B? That's weird. Like, I, it took me at least six years after I started to read those to, to go. Wait, why are there eight Bs? You know, how come I never thought about that? Did somebody back in the 1930s, when they just started with this, realize? that these all came from the same yeast bacterial mixture. Oh, they're letting bacteria grow in the stuff that's fermenting. The bacteria are growing and they're making these metabolites. They're bacterial growth factors. Duh, somebody must have known that back in the way because they were all published as bacterial growth factors first. The idea of a growth factor really started with, a, with microbiology. Oh, that guy has a little yellow one with pink tops on it, and I can't get that to grow. What's he doing that I'm not doing. So first was bacterial growth factor, then oh maybe humans need them too. But somehow, I think it lost a, over the next hundred years like, oh, is it possible that the bacteria inside us actually make these well, it turns out that there are many articles from even like fifty sixty, seventy saying. This particular lactobacillus makes thiamine. Well, so there's a dogmatic approach that's not just in medicine. It's there in nutrition, it's there in dietitian. You know, once you get the somebody asking you to write a textbook, you try to simplify things. So, and and I'm doing the same thing. And I don't I don't want anybody to stay within these rigid rules. I want there to be a belief system in which you say, Oh, well, at least. Most of the B vitamins are probably being provided by the microbiome. So I have these patients who I've forced into a B vitamin deficiency state, but I also happen to know that they all, well, not all of them, but many of them have IBS, that many of them have irritable bowel symptoms. So, and also it's now popular and common to take probiotics. So we all, GI literature has come to the place of saying, oh, we've got the wrong poop bacteria. So at that point, I'm like, well... That's interesting because maybe what's happened is D has affected the poop bacteria and then the poop bacteria is not making the bees that it should. And because I gave D by itself, it wasn't exactly what those four happy, healthy phyla needed. They really needed their buddies. They have always existed as a four pack and they're training these bacterial growth factors back and forth. And there was actually an article published before mine that, that looked at this in a totally different way, but had exactly the same idea. They said, look, we have only grown 2% of the 200 species that exist in our belly. That means we don't know anything about them. We're yeah. making up stuff right and left. Okay. Why haven't we been able to grow them? So they made that one question. And then the second one was, we actually have access to a computerized program that knows every single gene that every single one of these bacteria has. So we have a huge amount of genetic knowledge, even though we haven't seen them in the wild, more or less. So they said, hey, we can use this genetic material and say, does this species make thiamine? Does it have the enzyme needed to make? Does this species, is this species requiring something from some other bacteria? And they came through an extraordinarily complex set of hypotheses to, yes, it turns out that these four phyla exist as a foursome. They've been on this planet for billions of years, feeding each other these cofactors. And that means we as multi-celled organisms came second. That piece is very difficult to get into people's heads because we've just spent 20 years talking about, okay, which species should I take? And instead of thinking of it that way, we should really think of it as they get in there in an outside living mom who's breastfeeding a baby. It spontaneously is selected for. D is a major part of that. But those bacteria like to be there inside of you and they do all these important things for you. So probiotics are probably not the right answer. Prebiotics, which means I feed my bacteria a certain Set of things, and then my bacteria feeds me is probably a better way of looking at it.
0: I was going to ask uh, the prebiotic probiotic conversation because I guess there's there's two sides of the of the of the conversation right which is one that the bacterial species have either been wiped out because the Western diet um, is you know destructive into the gut in that way um, high sugar you know vegetable oils all that kind of thing so you're, you're possibly missing species so is it possible that we can, well, first question is, is it possible to reintroduce those through fermented foods? Um, And the second part is obviously that, you know, we then need to feed those bacteria so they produce the vitamins.
1: I, I think that's a wonderful question. So let me tell you what I did. And then I'll tell you the answer to that, which I think is the answer is yes, fermented foods are another way to do this. So here's the way I would put it together. I wound up Giving B50 and taking it myself. And B50 is 10, 10 uh, sorry, 50 milligrams of each one of the eight B vitamins. So it's all eight. That's really important. They are very, very intertwined, both in the bacterial portion of this and in our biochemistry. That means you really need to take all eight. And if you take it in a big enough dose, what you're doing is recreating this B vitamin soup throughout the intestine. And that means that there are some of the good guys still living down there. They just didn't have the environment that favored them over the bad guys. So Mm -hmm. once you give D and B50 together, then it turns out you made the perfect environment and you better stop the B50 after three months. Because now that we're focusing on, there's a whole bunch that I left out, but ultimately when our sleep fell apart, With a good D level, it turns out we're deficient in something else. We add this B50, the sleep gets better, pain goes away. And there's an obvious answer, which is, oh, I just recreated the vitamin sources that these bacteria were looking for, and now they're being favored. Now, once you have the normal bacteria back, okay, one of the questions has been, or one of the statements that's been made that I don't think is correct is that our microbiome was taken out and- That description that we changed our microbiome started in the 80s as well as the vitamin D deficiency state did. And when sunscreen and air conditioning and computers started.
0: So much changed. So there's a
1: nice parallel. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that it's antibiotics alone. And there are two reasons why I don't think antibiotics were to blame. One is my generation and the generation before me received a lot of penicillin, a lot of tetracycline, a lot of different antibiotics. And IBS didn't show up until the 80s. The second is, we actually stole the idea of antibiotics from the bacteria and the fungus that grow inside us. We did not make up this idea. So when those little animals come back in our belly, they are also there in our mouth, in our nose, in our ears, in the perineum, all of our skin. And they are making antiviral, antimicrobial, antifungal agents that kill their competitors. That means those guys have always been part of our immune system locally, and they also contribute metabolites that are part of our biology. So once you become covered with these guys again, you really do have a much lower need for antibiotics, but also when you take antibiotics for whatever it is you need them for, you will then be recolonized with the right guys, as long as they have enough D. So our little appendix that keeps all the library, now we're looking at the appendix as the library. It's at a 90-degree angle because when you poop out everything, they're sitting there and going, oh, it's our turn. And they, they come out and they recolonize the whole GI tract again.
0: Not for me. T- I had mine cut out at 13.
1: <laughs> yeah. I had mine cut out at 62. Now. Mm-hmm. 13 is the normal time for appendicitis. 62 is not the normal time. So the reason why I know about this is because I got appendicitis about a year and a half after I converted my microbiome. I don't think that's by chance. I think, you know, the microbiome gets converted and then they get together and they get on their horses and they run down on the appendix. They go, okay, we're going to go on there and kill those suckers that are still (laughs) left over. The bad guys are still down there. And nowadays, they're really saying, that was only a few years ago, but now they're really suggesting that we not take the appendix. Now that somebody had a brilliant yes. idea of what it's for, you know?
0: So, yeah, believe it or not, removing a part of the human body is an abstract idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, the next question would be, why is, it a normal, why is it normal for teenagers? And it's partially because when you're a kid, you play out in the sun all the time, and then you, as you get into your teens you become a responsible adult and you might be a you might be a lifeguard but you know you might get other jobs in the summer too where you're not outside as much so there's an age there in the late teens early 20s where penicillin is more common now in the background the other thing to remember is we stole penicillin from a particular fungus that was that, that means that fungus was making penicillin yeah that means our bacteria are used to having antibiotics around them. They're used to battling it out. Now, the other thing that you said, which is really important, is what about fermented food? Because I was claiming that I gave D for two years. Their belly should have been corrected also. But it wasn't. In fact, we all had these bad things that happened to us. And I've continued to see those bad things. It's not that just in my patients. So if you give D by itself and you do not bring back the microbiome, the incidence of other low B-related diseases goes up and up and up. And since everybody started D in COVID, this has got to continue to increase. If you bring back the microbiome, then you have the supply of the extra Bs. The D is asking the brain to sleep more, make more repairs. That's really D's place in the world, when you're not dormant anymore, you've gone into the growth phase, when your D is 60, you're replacing your muscle and you're building on your tendons, etc. It needs all these raw materials. In the background, that implies that anybody who got D deficient in the 1300s wouldn't have been able to walk down to the vitamin store and buy B50. <laughs> yeah. And there's a hole there, okay? Because it's been my experience that if you read British history, you will have these really interesting stories about some guy who got stuck in the Tower of London when he was 35 because he was on the wrong side. And then kings change and eight years later, he's released. Well, we know he was vitamin D deficient because he was in the Tower of London for eight years. And his teeth have fallen out and his hair is all thin and he's got these big non-healing ulcers that we know are vitamin deficiency. He has these physical attributes that suggest he has become profoundly D and B deficient. Yet he's still around at age eighty, and he's writing important things about British history, or he serves as the, you know, exchequer or something for the next king. That has to mean that there's a way to do this naturally. And I'm reading these really interesting detective novels that are actually placed in the 1300s in London. And this author is a historian, and every single episode, they're walking through piles of shit everywhere. There's dog shit and person shit, and they're dumping poop on their head, and he's describing their food that they're eating. These people are eating fermented food, okay? We're calling it fermented, but that means that the movement towards fermented food is really doing exactly the same thing as b fifty. What you're doing with that is you're letting the cabbage rot. Then what's happening there is the bacteria are growing. They're secreting these metabolites that are vitamins. Then the bacteria die as it gets more vinegary. And the fermentation process has been purified by humans so that you won't be growing the bacteria that kill us. So they're trying to show you certain procedures that allow you to ferment things in a healthful way and not in a sure to kill you. Because when you eat rotting food, there's a little bit of risk there. Yeah. So the practices is about that. And actually I really do I have a couple of clients who have brought back their microbiome using nutritional yeast. Because it's basically the same thing as B50. The harder part is if I'm trying to help someone with very bad sleep, you have to be a lot more attentive to what the doses are. Yeah, and it's very and hard to that, measure. That's a longer, more difficult thing to do, but it's still absolutely possible, I think.
0: The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, I'm curious to to dig into the the connection between the D and the microbiome. How are they linked? Because I've I've absorbed a lot of your content, but I'm just thinking of the list that like that jump from D to the B5 and the, the, the bacteria. Where's the connection there?
1: We have only one article that says that if you change the D dose that the speciation or the spread of who's living inside you has changed. I have not seen, and there probably are articles now, because once somebody has this idea, then they start to do all sorts of stuff. But I have not seen specifics about these particular phyla require this amount of D and that this one goes away when the D goes below 40 that would, I, I think that that's what your question is. So, mm-hmm. would it be nice to have some basic microbiology literature? It appeared to me when I was doing searches on this up until the last, up until 2020, if you would just ask vitamin D and bacteria, you would not get a whole set of publications where it said, we gave these bacteria vitamin D and they didn't need it or they really did. You can get lots of really interesting things in the fermentation literature about growing your own yogurt and then, for instance, making more lactobacillus of a specific subtype. So there's a lots of microbiology that's telling us if you have lactobacillus ruteri, then you actually have the opportunity to make this cofactor that they named after it called or rut- ruteri that you we humans absorb. And it helps in our ability to judge where our iron is. So you must have that in order. So iron overload is not just a genetic problem. It is also a microbiome problem. But I have yet to see the sort of connections that you're making where this particular one needs this much deep. However, there are some really interesting other things that I think we should add right here, which is in 2020, Francesca Guida in Italy did an article using mice where she lowered the amount of D and she wanted to make the, see if there was a connection between the species that were living inside the mouse's belly and the mouse's ability to make endocannabinoids. So there's another set of things that I don't speak a lot about publicly, but they are very important. Endocannabinoids are chemicals that we use in our brain and our spinal cord during development to have a normal nervous system. They are also needed to be sustained over time, and they are very important for inflammation, for appetite, for thinking, for sleep, for weight. They have multiple effects throughout the body. When you lose the normal microbiome, it turns out that Francesca Guina showed that when you lower the D, certain species die off, they were responsible for making the the backbone or the raw materials that became the endocannabinoid in the mouse. And then she produced mice who had a misperception of light moving touch. So it has a specific name that's called tactile allodynia, which means touching someone misperceived as painful. So this would right. usually be the way you would pet your animals and it would be pleasant and it would make them purr or whatever. And it's pleasant for us. But autistic kids, it's unpleasant. So that sort of misinterpretation of a sensory experience is what happened in the mouse. And she was actually able to show the electrophysiology of that in the spinal cord and then able to correct it by giving back a chemical that is similar to anandamide, which is our endocannabinoid. So she actually traced it through the developmental part of the mouse, spinal cord and brain, And then you can fix this by giving an endocannabinoid-like chemical. This is why CBD and things like it that have been completely ignored because the U.S. vilified cannabis, that means that the actual research, the reason why so many people are seeking CBD and THC is because they are deficient. And someone who is not deficient, they get hallucinations or they feel weird and they're like, I'm not going to use that. And the person who's deficient, they are supplying something that you cannot get in any other way. If you are not able to make it yourself, your nervous system is actually abnormal. And now it is normalizing your your ability to sleep, your ability to perceive pain correctly, that sort of thing. So what that means is when you lose the microbiome, you are deficient not only in the B vitamins, which are about everything we do. The endocannabinoids. But the third thing is all the minerals that are cofactors. Like when you learned all the things you know, every single one of those minerals can be thought of as a metal. Really, there's small charged ions iodine, manganese, magnesium, they all have a charge. The bacteria were originally responsible for leaching those out of the stone. And then they learned how to use them, or somebody taught them how to use these within a biologic environment. And then they became incorporated into all of these enzymatic patterns that have the bees, et cetera. When you lose your microbiome, it's apparent that they were part of our ability to sense whether or not we needed more copper, whether we needed more zinc, et cetera. And I had one clinical experience where after about eight months, after bringing back the microbiome, And keep in mind, I was judging whether or not the microbiome was back by how my patients' sleep and pain levels were, okay? So about 8 to 12 months after that, I had a few people in my practice who were getting iron infusions for no clear reason. I mean, young men, no menstruation, no blood loss, not in the army. So they didn't have any reason for having low iron, but they still did, and the hematologist doesn't have an answer, and they're getting iron infusions, And I was puzzling over that and wondering if it had to do with D because anything where we don't have a good, where we use that, we see that sentence, I would say, oh, maybe this is about D too. So D didn't fix it, but eight to 12 months after the B50, they come back and say, hey, they wouldn't give me my iron infusion today because my iron level is fine. Now this is on someone who doesn't have any iron supplement orally. They were using these infusions. That means they started to absorb it well enough from their food that their iron level has crept up back to normal again, okay? That is also important to note because iron is very pivotal for many of the neurotransmitters. Dopamine, serotonin, epinephrine, norepinephrine, they all have a component at the very beginning of their biochemical pathways where they need iron. What that ends up being is when you lose the normal microbiome because your D is low, you become deficient in an array of things. That array can then present in many different diseases. But it is really most of the diseases that are chronic illness now. if you were to compare, what would I see as a neurologist in 1910, okay? I might have tuberculosis of the spine. I would have the mental effects of syphilis. I would have the movement disorder of uh, a bacterial illness in a kid. We have conquered the infectious diseases that used to make these neurologic illnesses, but because we now live indoors, we have this whole set of chronic illnesses. They're not new; they're old. From the earliest textbooks, way back at the you know, at Christ's time, these were diseases that were de- that were actually first described in elderly people: heart failure, swollen legs. Dementia, memory problems those are all diseases that were talked about 2,000 years ago. That means there is actually a pathway that includes D in the microbiome that winds up with these degenerative illnesses. But they've been around so long that medicine is really slow to look back and say, "Well, that's weird. This kid has come in here with a memory disorder, and he's only 22, and they just blow you off. If you come in at 22 years old and say, I can't remember anything, they'll just go, get out of here. You must be (laughs) nervous or something.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think this, like the way that you're describing this and the research that exists, it really gives validity to that idea, which has arguably been around since modern medicine, which is that um, all disease starts in the gut. You hear that a lot in the holistic health world, right? And I think... as you've described as well, it's our limitation of the understanding of how complex that space is in our gut and the vast array of colonies, fungal, viral um, bacteria that we actually don't even know about and how they symbiotically produce vitamins and produce cofactors and produce enzymes that the the idea that all disease starts in the gut just sounds like a woo-woo hippie thing to say because there's a lack of scientific evidence and it's that sort of Arrogance of science that it's like if it's not there's no research paper on it it's not true yet,
1: (laughs) and and who wants to mess with poop anyway I mean (laughs) most of us be like no I don't think I want to go on that but some specialty but I think you're absolutely right on track there
0: yeah the the work you're doing is so incredible so incredible and thank you thank you for coming on today and sharing everything and I definitely think we should do this again but because everybody.
1: on pregnant women and kids, because Absolutely, that's a lot of your can. population. This is so important if you want to get pregnant during your pregnancy and with your children, and we could do a whole segment on that.
0: Yeah, I've just made a note of it. Let's, let's do it. But because everybody's like, where can I get more of you? Where can everybody find you on the internet?
1: My website is drgominak, G-O-M-I-N-A-K, and if you put in... Dr. Gomoflagy and uh, vitamin D, my name will pop up. So, and I'm the only Gomanac around. And if you put in vitamin D and Dr. G or something like that, I'll probably pop up as well. And there is a lot to know about how these vitamins affect our health in a general way. But I still feel that the reason why I've been able to see such amazing results is concentrating on keeping your sleep and putting sleep first in your life.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Um, I'm going to put all of those links down in the show notes below so that anybody that wants to dive into your world or work with you, scroll down to the show notes below, click the link, jump into Stasha's world. It's obviously an incredible world to be in. She's such a genius and it's just so impressive. So thank you so much for being here and I'm really grateful for your time, your energy, the career, and your passion to, to go outside lines. You know, you described yourself amongst that conversation as as an MD that colored in the lines and this is absolutely not coloring in the lines.
1: (laughs) Um, I, I got very I got very angry about the fact that we're charging people for things that are free. Yeah. Like you can go outside. It's that easy. Yeah. And it's it's not simple to fix all these things, but the concept that that I would have to pay larger sums of money when really all of us would rather just not go to the doctor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you walk outside every day. Well, and, and that might leave us in a good spot to say, what is one piece of health information amongst the vast array of knowledge you have that you wish more people knew about that they commonly don't?
1: I'm going to have to say that, that going outside is an integral part of our biology. It's not something that I knew about either. I just happened to be someone be a, who was a sun worshiper and loved to swim and liked to be outdoors and wanted to go to the beach and be anywhere near water. And I just happened to be healthier than my compatriots. And it's only looking back that I think, well, why can't they feel as good as I do? You know? and
0: Now we know why.
1: <laughs> oh, well, it's that, I'm simplifying, but it's still a really yes. important concept.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. We're going to organize the conversation about pregnant women and kids after we get off the air. But uh, very grateful for your time and for being here. And I know everyone's going to love it. So thank you so much. <laughs> we'll catch you soon